Welcome to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. Join us as we review our favorite RPGs, collectible card games, MMOs, video games, PC games, and bring up interesting topics and things that we'd like to share with everyone. Sit back and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Kelly, a.k.a. Trixie from Ragnarok and Roll, assigned to Ragnarok Story, and Tilda Wimblewick from D&D Journey of the 5th Edition. First off, I would just like to say thank you to everyone for listening to our varied adventures, as well as for rating us on iTunes and RPGpodcast.com. If you haven't rated us yet, we would greatly appreciate it if you could. And if you're looking for more ways to support our efforts, we are now on Patreon, a great site where you can help us continue making more podcasts, as well as some special surprises for our patrons. If you can, please look us up at www.patreon.com cppn. Every little bit helps. And again, thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. Jim here, and today I've got a special guest. I've got Frazier from The Veil, a cyberpunk RPG. Hey, Frazier, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks a lot for having me. So, I heard you have a little Kickstarter going on right now. Mm-hmm, yeah, it's, uh, it's a little niche project. <laughs> It's like, yeah, it came up and snuck on everybody. It was kind of funny when I put it out on Twitter. Mark and Hamish, the guys from The Sprawl, and Headspace tweeted at me, and they're like, hey, um, who are you? <laughs> I was like, uh, you know, just some some guy, first-time designer, and they're like, oh, okay, so what's cyberpunk to you kind of thing? And they both backed it right away, and I was like, well, okay, these guys are amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, see, that is a really good question. What is cyberpunk to you? For me, cyberpunk is a evolving genre, right? That that gets changed and propelled forward with all the works that people are putting into it at any given time. And lately, it's changing quite a bit, like with solar punk stuff. Even Accelerando is way different than Neuromancer, right? You're getting a way different experience. So for me, it's obviously going to be the touchstones. And for me, it's Ghost in the Shell, Blade Runner, of course. What what I took away from that seemed to be a little bit different than, than other people. A lot of people just seemed like they wanted to like go do heists, whereas I saw like the, the bigger pictures being explored, especially in Ghost in the Shell, where the question is, what would a futuristic society that's all cyborg do to reproduce, right? And then suddenly, you have this really cool concept, and there's also all this cool shooting and technology, and they're running around and being amazing and I, it just blew my mind for those that don't know what is solar punk I, you threw that, that phrase out and I, I need to I need to get some clarification on solar punk solar punk is really neat because I even as I was writing the veil wasn't even aware of it and it was brought to my attention by one of the backers of the veil it's really neat because it's completely at odds with what current cyberpunk is um sort of like defined by when people think about it. They think of like Shadowrun, Neuromancer, stuff like that, where solar punk is basically the exact opposite. It's like a hopeful, uplifting future where technology is bringing us closer to like the Earth and ourselves, and it's not 
ripping us apart and taking our essence and like you know vilifying each other and asking those kind of questions it's more like hey technology could also be this amazing tool that we use to repair the earth and our relationship amongst each other so i thought that was really cool and then i may or may not have started working on a playbook on that (laughs) (laughs) i actually got excited when i was reading the teaser for that one (laughs) yeah i was like oh yes this is be interesting and i just like the fact like the backer got super um stoked about it because he was like whoa you're like one of the first creators that you know accepted my invitation on g plus and then like incorporated and i was like yeah man i'm you know like this is it's everybody's game so if anybody has thoughts or feedback or whatever like it's only going to make the game better definitely it's all about collaborating you know Mm -hmm. working together to create something awesome at the end Mm -hmm. and i mean when you're playing apocalypse world that's what it is right like it's a collaborative fiction that you're creating so the game should be that as well that's why i love playtesting so much as things evolve like the empath for one um my good friend Amber back home is a playtester and she we were just playing one time and she was like, man, it'd be really cool if you could use these emotion spikes as, you know, different things. And bam, the empath was born. So that's her thing kind of thing now. So she, every time she talks about it with her friends when the Kickstarter went up, she's like, that's uh, kind of my bag. So just <laughs> just say, you know, <laughs> so that's funny. It's good because that way folks can get that puffed up proud thing of that's yeah, that's that's my baby. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're raising that baby together. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> Apocalypse World is something on our podcast we haven't really touched on. I've got a chance to play a few times, and I love emceeing, or in this case, mm-hmm. Master of Ceremonies, is, is what the GM is called in the system. Mm-hmm. Could you explain to our listeners that have never touched into Apocalypse World yet what Apocalypse World is, or the Apocalypse World engine? Sure. So Apocalypse World, for a lot of people, means a lot of different things. But for me, it was discovering a completely new way of telling a story. Um, before that, I had mostly been in D20 systems, and it's mostly, you know, you have the GM and he's saying, like, this is what you smell, this is what you hear, what do you do, kind of thing. With Apocalypse World, you're all collaboratively contributing to the fiction at the same time, and arguably, probably the players more than the MC, even though the MC is the embodiment of that fiction. So, basically, you just say yes to the players until there's a dice roll, and the dice roll can end up as a hit, a weak hit, or a miss. And the interpretation of each is really different, which is really cool. So a strong hit, a 10 plus, is basically the narrative control is with the players, and they say what happens usually, or they just get a really good outcome from the MC. Whereas a weak hit is something that's usually a compromise, so the thing that they want happens, but another thing happens that... Uh, usually they won't like it'll be uh you know a compromise it'll be a decision it'll be a worse outcome and then they choose between each outcome and then a miss doesn't necessarily mean that they don't get what they want but it means that something else happens as well and as the mc is the embodiment of the fiction they can say yeah like you get that thing but this is what it looks like in the fiction now so for me coming from a d20 system it like completely blew my mind that this is how you, I I just felt in my heart that this is like how you tell a story. I was like, this is my fiction, right? Like it doesn't feel like I'm playing in someone else's world. I was like, yeah, like, you know, this NPC, I made this person, right? They're as real to me as the GM and we're all 
here playing, and it was just super, super interesting discovering the system, as well as um, the main fact that it's a diceless uh, MC system, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one thing I do like about it is the fact that for, from a, a Game Master point of view, it's super, super easy for you to run a game. Oh, yeah, like, you because basically, you are the fiction, so you're just like, what would logically happen next? Bam, that happens. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those few systems I've actually joked with friends that you can actually show up almost completely unprepared. Oh, yeah. And as long as you're good at coming up with stuff on the fly, you can easily have a pickup group happen you know two o'clock in the afternoon somebody says hey guys let's get together and game and by five o'clock you can show up and have a game going oh yeah and the nice thing is is that i don't know how to put it <laughs> basically you can be <laughs> as lazy as you want as the mc right they're just like oh man what do i smell i'm like i don't know you're there you tell me right and they're like what that's amazing oh, i smell this i'm like cool sounds good okay well this is happening now so what does that look like and they're like oh this is happening I'm like yeah 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 it is happening it is. Because <laughs> <laughs> after all, it's that beautiful moment when you, you're like playing D&D with your friends and you're game mastering, and then all of a sudden you have this cool storyline, and then one of your players goes, oh man, I bet such and such is going to happen. And you're like, you know what, that's better than what I got. <laughs> yeah, and, exactly. <laughs> because it's awesome getting to invite the other four or five people in the game to fill in the gaps. I mean, because mm-hmm. before Apocalypse Engine, I played the, the Fate system, Dresden. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's the, and, I, and that's what instantly made me fall in love with that system was the fact that we collaboratively build the world together. Yeah, yeah. I think, and then that way... I think it's, it's important, right? Like, super yeah, cause, important. Because this way, they're telling me what their expectations are mm-hmm. as opposed to me busting my butt for a week writing a cool <laughs> story and scripting it out and then all of a sudden... <laughs> This isn't interesting to them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, or not even that it's not that interesting, but they're just like picking up different different fictional flags than you were, right? You're just like, this is what's cool about this story. And they're like, no, I think this is what's cool. Let's go over here. And you're like, oh, I didn't expect that. <laughs> you guys are going over there. Why are you doing that? Okay. All right. Let's find out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like in the apocalypse world, I play a game on Wednesdays all the time. And the most interesting thing I could think of was that the the maelstrom was taking over my character and like holding it hostage and stuff, and I was totally doing that. And then everybody else was like, "Yeah, cool, I'm doing this right now, though." And I'm like, "Oh, nobody cares about cricket." His name was Cricket. And I was like, "Damn, that's that's rough." Okay, well, let's see what else happens then. <laughs> I thought I was, like, weaving this amazing tale with, like, my character and stuff, and people were just like, yeah, that's cool, too, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) You can just hear it, cricket, cricket. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, and and the nice thing is with the Apocalypse Engine is the fact that you're the best, you know, whatever you pick to play, you're you're the the badass in this world of that, that, whatever that class is. Mm -hmm, Exactly. Like, it's not, oh, there's, you know, 80,000 clerics here, and you're one of them. You know, it's like, no, you're the cleric. And the most interesting thing about it is if you're the cleric, that's your thing. So if you're like, I worship Loth or whatever, then anytime Loth comes up, the MC is like, cool, what's Loth say about this? You know, what are your beliefs about this? Because it's not in there, right? Like, it's not written in stone or whatever. They're just like, you know, you're an elf in Dungeon World? What does that look like? Do you have night vision? Do you, you know, do you prance around at night and have parties and stuff? Or are you just, like, super concealed in the woods and never come out to see anybody and you're, like, kind of gnarly looking and stuff, right? (laughs) It's like, what is your interpretation? Because guess what? You're writing the world, you know? Mm -hmm, Yeah, I love, I just like that it's not called 
classes. I love that it's called playbooks because it's like mm-hmm. a holistic approach to that that character that anybody can just pick up and it's completely different in every game. And the nice thing is, you know, it's from a player standpoint, it's literally you're you're giving the player exactly what they need in those two, three pages of this is your character, you know. Yeah, and then they, they take that and roll with it. Then when you're doing the first session world building, it's usually like the most it's almost like playing microscope for the first time or something with them, and you're just like, oh, like you really get a portal into these people's minds, and sometimes you're like, whoa, dude, <laughs> okay, <laughs> you went to a dark place. Yeah, so so maybe we don't have you know never-ending death waves or something in this, but maybe we land here, right? A, a nice little point in the middle for everybody, and they're like, yeah, cool. And then the more that everybody contributes to the story, the the more they buy into it the more it becomes their fiction, and then it's not like, you know, playing in someone else's fiction. Like I was saying, it's like, you know, I, I'm excited to come back to this place because it's mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 not like you're playing Forgotten Realms, you know, where yeah. the big stuff's written, and it's a sandbox. It's literally, it's the beauty of role-playing, is that in this t- place and time, you guys are writing your very own story. Yeah. And, and in, with the Apocalypse Engine, you get the players to, to you know, like in most games, GMs are pulling teeth to get stuff from the players. Oh, yeah. Apocalypse Engine, it's right there. It's part of their character. They're throwing out things that, you know, hey, there's this, there's this. Oh, here's my relationships to other players, you know. Mm-hmm, yeah. Which is really nice about that. Yeah, it, it it's really good at bringing a lot of fiction right from the get-go from every playbook. And then it's also nice for the for the MC because you know that that's what they want to have from the game. If they pick like the apparatus in my game, I'm like, oh, cool. This is what they want to explore about it. So I'm like, bam, fictional flag. This is what they want, right? Whereas like if they pick um, something in the D20 system, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's what they want to see in the game. It just means that's what they like. You know, the cool skills or the moves or the pluses and stuff is what they want. So you're kind of like treading a thin line you're like cool so what does this guy like about the ranger right like is he just wanting that like shooting from afar thing or like what's going on with this guy it's a lot harder to figure them out and yeah it feels kind of like pulling teeth a little bit sometimes when you're like what do you want (laughs) just tell me and i'll give it to you i want to give you a good story (laughs) help me to help you yeah yeah exactly and Another thing about Apocalypse World is that it it's really good at bringing that like um, oppressive and like hard darkness and stuff, and then getting people to be the light in it. Right, like mm-hmm. all the moves are pretty interpersonal, which I had never seen in the system before, and I was like, whoa, there's a there's a move to like read a person, there's a move to like to to it's basically tools to actually role play which i had never seen before i was just like you pretty much just need to figure that out right like yep if you're in like instead of rolling persuasion or whatever you're like i want to read a person and you're asking real interpersonal questions to another player and they're answering (laughs) and it's just an amazing feeling because you get that give and take, you know, that, that, that only happens on the fly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's almost like when you play that game with people, when they're asking you those questions over and over to get you, like, that that real answer or whatever, where they're, like, tricking you, except that it's all the time, because it's just great. 
Because you're on the fly, and it's, it's that snap answer that's the immediate, true, honest one. Mm-hmm. And then they're figuring out what their protagonist is like, just like you are. Because they probably mm-hmm. didn't even really know, right? They're just like, I'm going to be a badass, and then suddenly they're, you know, like a, a really interpersonal gun lugger and you're like what <laughs> but but that's the beautiful part of role playing is it's when the players get that aha moment and they slip into their character's skin mm-hmm. and they're like i know what this character is now i know my character mm-hmm. and then i uh yeah and then i took that a little bit further and swapped out um stats for states and now I love it because they're constantly in character, right? They're never like, well, the appearance that I want to give is being hard. They're like, well, I know my character, and right now they're really angry and within mad. I can see frustrated, and that's what they are, so that's what I'm rolling. That is one good thing with the emotion chart. Mm-hmm. That, that That's a really good chart for helping players, and it's like, okay, figuring out your character's motivation. Mm-hmm, yeah, like, there's so many things that fit under those six core emotions that it kind of, like, blows your mind the first time you open it. Because you're just like, whoa. <laughs> okay, so, like, because a lot of time people are like, I'm never going to roll sad. But there's so many emotions within sad that you, you do roll it quite <laughs> often, right? And the funny yeah. thing about it is when they are assigning their stats, it's super interesting because they always, always, always cripple themselves. <laughs> it is amazing <laughs> to watch because... They, because they're thinking of the positives as things that they identify with the most and that they're going to use the most, but not what the world's doing to them, right? So, uh-huh. so suddenly, right, they're like, well, I'm amazing at being mad. And I'm like, cool. Well, in the veil right now, you see your dead son, his ghost is looking at it, you and he's like touching and scraping his arm against like the pane of the window. And you look back and he's gone. What do you feel? And they're like, oh, shit, just got real, <laughs> right? You got me in the fields. <laughs> yeah. So and then they're like, oh, man, I guess I will be rolling scared and sad a lot in this game right and then when they do improvements for that it's a real thing right because they're telling me in the fiction this is how i get better at dealing with scared and it's because sean my dead son or whatever i jumped into the veil and i like tried to find him and i kind of went through this story arc of doing that and i think that's what gives me my improvement in it how the character evolves mm-hmm. just because the story bounces back and you know one affects the other mm-hmm. and the fact that it's a mixed reality in the veil is the mc has it's just like whatever they want right like they can just be like bam this is happening now <laughs> <laughs> you know and they're like well that doesn't make sense we're like yeah well it's a mixed reality right and they're like oh right so you know it's just whatever and the players can do the same thing too right when i go to my apartment it could be like psychopaths kind of like when i i turn on the lights or whatever and it reskins my entire apartment a coastal village in africa and i'm like hanging out with people and stuff right where they don't exist but it's as real to me because when they touch me i can feel it because mm-hmm, you're getting that whole virtual reality stimulation mm-hmm. so it's I'm, I'm really excited to see some like let's play happening where people are doing some crazy stuff with mixed reality and i posted an article actually on mixed reality in the veil uh, google plus community just because i thought it was so interesting because it's a real thing that's happening right now hey yeah because that's actually you know one of the things that you know people do is in their houses now is they've got the virtual screens the virtual windows you know yeah just to get that whole experience of i'm not in the dreary now i want stimulation 
Mm-hmm. And then, and then, like a hundred years from now, what does that look like, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like instead of seeing a bunch of kids on the curb stealing Wi-Fi from the library, there you're going to see a bunch of people just slumped over, you know, cyberjacking, you know. Totally. And in one of the games, the drug of choice, which I thought was super interesting, which they, of course, it was the first play test, and it ended up being in a mega structure. So I was like, mm-hmm. But anyway. <laughs> Um, third drug that was going on was there was um, these like elite classist people in the top of it um, of the structure of course that were the only ones that were able to look out and peer past like the mega structure to see what the world was like and nobody else could and they are they lived for a really long amount of time because of technology and people were um, taking their memories and injecting themselves with it so they could like relive humanity inside themselves and stuff. Yeah, because yeah, it's true. I mean, it would be that whole getting to enjoy someone's memory. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody would buy that. You know, yeah. Like, the, the, think of it like a reverse total recall thing. Of you can pimp your memories out. Granted, you you'll lose them depending on how they. <laughs> yeah. MC wants to run the story, but hey, I'm looking for that person I loved because I was hard up and I sold that memory of our first kiss. You know. Yeah, and like. Even people, um, like if you want to think of an altered carbon thing, maybe these old people like back up their memories and that's how people like hack into them and take the memories and then distill it into this form that they can like freebase. <laughs> so they're like, you know, trapped in this structure with all these people and suddenly they're like remembering this old lady or something when she was 15 years old on a dock with her mom before the apocalypse and like kayaking or something, right? And then how addictive would that be, and what would that change them into, right? Yeah, it's because you're going to just sit there hitting replay, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, like you're not going to want to come back. (laughs) You want that good stimulation, so you just hit replay. Mm. Oh, look, your body's wasting away. (laughs) Yeah, and then uh, in the Let's Play thing that we have on the Kickstarter page, I Mm. didn't see the, the apparatus coming this way either. He decided to play it as... A punk who had dermalinked skin who would go to punk concerts and experience the concert and then record it with his dermalinking and sell it so that people could like experience what he could feel at the concert as well. And his only unlocked emotion at the beginning was joyful. Mm. And the apparatus was the uh, artificial intelligence one, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's like a, an awakened... AI, and then when you pick the playbook, you can kind of be as human or non-human as you want, and you're like constantly looking to unlock emotions within yourself by observing them in the world around you, especially the protagonists, and then also sort of kind of like judging humanity too, because you're you're generating humanity within yourself to unlock these emotions, but you can also spend it to inflict humanity harm, which is basically forcing somebody to come into grips with a hard truth. (laughs) That could be dangerous. Yeah, well, it doesn't, like, I made sure that it didn't uh, cause actual physical damage. It was more (laughs) like you lose time and you have disadvantage on rolls and stuff like that. Because otherwise people would be like, bam, humanity harm, humanity harm, all the humanity harm, you, you hard truth, man, bitch, you die, yeah, yeah. You know, so I was like, mm, yeah, we're not going to go that way with it. But the idea that you could inflict um, humanity on somebody was something that I thought was really cool. Because you're doing it as something that probably, like, doesn't, like, people don't really identify that has humanity, right? 
Mm-hmm. So yes. I thought that's probably cool. the AI is outside the house looking in, so he's got a total unique perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then one of the moves is called conclusion, and if you take that, basically you're just like, nope, humanity ain't for me, man. <laughs> <laughs> And then you just get, like, a static bonus to your stuff, and you have nothing to do with emotions anymore. So I thought that would be super neat, because, you know, like, who knows what they're experiencing in the fiction, and then they could just be like, no, you guys are just not worth it. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> right? So... Could be that pivotal moment where humanity was just too too painful or too gruesome or too horrible. It's like, all right, I dug that that line of data out of my, my program there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, yeah. Pulled that chip, you know. I don't want that stuff. <laughs> yeah, like, you guys are terrible. I'm out. You <laughs> Yeah, and another thing that I did, too, that I thought was neat with it is that if you pay attention to the playbooks and read them all, they kind of, there's, like, quite a few of them, actually, that can evolve or digress into each other. So if you're dying, for instance... And your your affliction is that you're being replaced by or incorporated by the veil, then maybe what you turn into is sort of like an architect, right? If you're the attached, which has an object, and if you don't do what it wants enough and it leaves you, maybe you become the dying, right? Mm, yeah. So there's a whole bunch of different stuff like that. So while I was making them, I was just like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> this is so cool. I hope people see it. <laughs> it's like I can see some totally awesome story arcs bouncing because that, that's the beauty with a nice long-term story is that's that's exactly what happens. Mm-hmm. Your character can completely evolve from one thing and become something different just because of circumstance, choice, player's desire, what's going on in the player's life outside the game. Mm-hmm, yeah, totally, right? Like what they wanted to bring to the table before and then what they experience in life, it could completely change the next week or the next month or the next year or whatever. Especially if they get married and have a kid or something, you know, then they suddenly see life quite differently and their character changes. And it's just, it's really interesting to see those changes. And that's why I did the belief system for advancement. So I was like, if you want to advance, man, you're working for it. You're going to show me what's up with that character. It's not just going to be like you hit X creature and somehow you learn from that, right? It's like, no man, you're telling me, and it could be anything, right? I'm not saying like Mm -hmm. you have to, you know, have some hardcore beliefs going on. It could be very simple things, but as long as you're exploring that and resolving it, that's what I want, and that's what gives you the advancement. Yeah, because basically life is measured by those big milestones that make you make big choices, you know? Mm -hmm. And we should get that same. Thing from the protagonist even if you know even if it's a one shot i find that people when they're doing the wind down on the game and they do the beliefs it's almost always enough to get them uh, one improvement usually if they're they're working towards it and it just sort of ties a nice ribbon on that one shot because you're like yeah i got this out of the game you know you're like i figured this out for my character, even though we only played for like three or four hours. But you still get that, that sense of story completion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That some some story arc fulfilled itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's important because sometimes Apocalypse World struggles like that, right? Because sometimes when you're playing it, you're like, man, this game just kind of goes and then the wheels fall off. And that's kind of maybe what it is supposed to do. 
but for what I wanted to explore, um, like I wanted to reverse engineer questions that people wanted to explore in cyberpunk culture and media. So I was like, well, that's not going to work, right? Like if the wheels <laughs> fall off, you're not really figuring stuff out. <laughs> so then, then it becomes one of those animes that just ends without ending. Yeah. You're just like, huh? It, it's like watching the original Evangelion. You're like, what? <laughs> they're like, no, it's cool. We're making five other movies. <laughs> you're like what <laughs> okay right like before they never told you that right like in junior high or high school or whatever they're just like yeah here's the first movie man hope you enjoy it and you're like i don't get it but i'm not gonna tell people i don't get it because then i look stupid so i'm gonna google it and then people are gonna try to tell me what it is and i'm just gonna regurgitate that <laughs> always formulate your own opinion <laughs> yeah well it was i remember um, when I consumed that in, in I think it was grade 10 or something for me, I was just like, what? Like, I kind of got some of it, but it's kind of like when you're reading the Odyssey in junior high, you're like, yeah, I know what this is about. But then there's levels. Yeah, there's the levels, right? And you're peeling it like an onion. You're like, I get what this is about. But no, you didn't. <laughs> you know, you're just like, you, it is about that, but it's also about this. And you're like, what? So, yeah. Which is, that's one good reason why for perspective's sake, it's good to go back and revisit stuff from time to time. Oh, definitely. Unless it's one of those things you revisit and realize, oh my God, I like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, one thing I will never revisit, though, is Never Ending Story. Because when I was a kid, though, I was like, man, this is amazing. And then my friends recently rewatched and they're like, dude, don't do it, man. It crushes your childhood. <laughs> you know, it's just like, oh, it's that bad. Hey. And they're like, oh, it's it's terrible. Like, it's really bad. So just live in your heart, my friend. It's <laughs> <was> like, OK, <laughs> I could see that kind of. But other other stuff, it's definitely like, I mean, Ghost in the Shell. Every time I rewatch it, I get something else out of it because there's so much compacted philosophy in it. Oh yeah, and, and the char- the different characters, you know, so many different points of view. Mm-hmm. And even um, I rewatched Innocence, and I liked it even more after the the third time or something like that because I hadn't rewatched it in ten years. I usually just do the main movie, and I'm like, everything else is whatever. But <laughs> Innocence, I rewatched, and I was like, damn, they're dropping some truth. <laughs> <laughs> this is good stuff. That, that's the beauty of the anime angle is you're getting some hardcore real world things being thrown in your face, but the, in the, the, the venue it's being pr- presented, it it can fly over the kids' heads with no problem. Yeah, it's like watching like Shrek, right? Like they're getting mm-hmm. the, the little story, the cute little story, and then all the adults are like, oh man, this is funny. <laughs> and, then, and of course the kids are just laughing along with them. Yeah, they're just like, yeah, dad's laughing and it's really funny, but you don't know it's a sexual joke. <laughs> Like, you don't know that Shrek is prancing around to a song that's about, like, oral fellatio. (laughs) (laughs) But that's why it works so well. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. (laughs) So you did mention the playbooks. Mm -hmm. So which, uh, for those that don't know what what the playbooks are, what uh, what is a playbook and more importantly which one is your personal favorite well i think i've already given it up right <laughs> i think it's probably <laughs> the apparatus just because mm-hmm. it's uh the thing i think it's the first playbook that i made and ironically is first alphabetically as well but um yeah it's just it's the main thing that kind of got me to make the game is because i wanted to explore that specific thing so it, that's why it's my favorite. And a playbook is 
like selecting a class, except that it's giving you more than just um, gear and look. It's giving you kind of like a... It's kind of implying what the outlook should be, and then you're putting your own twist on that, and then looking at it through your own spotlight and lens and seeing what that looks like to you. So if you pick the apparatus, right, for that one player... It was, you know, that that guy who was dermalinking um, uh, punk concerts. But for me, it would probably be more something like Gits, where like I probably am trying to figure out something about my humanity and my sexuality and how like I fit in the world and what that looks like in the fiction that we're creating. Um, and then. For like the architect, you're the you're basically like Inception and the Matrix put together, and then what that looks like to you is going to be completely different than someone who hasn't seen both of those movies, right? They're just going to be like, man, I can do some really cool stuff, but um, they don't like you know draw on the same aspects of the Matrix, so they're just like doing all this weird, crazy stuff that you'd never thought of. Whereas if you saw The Matrix, you're like, I'm doing this scene in The Matrix right now. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it's really interesting to see how people's touchstones um, change the playbooks completely. And I just like the idea of the playbook because it's not set in stone. Like, when you say class, it's like, bam, this is what you are, right? Whereas a playbook, you're like, okay, so it's... Like, what is it, right? (laughs) Here's here's your options. Yeah, like, you're picking the things, and then you're becoming something completely different than what you would have been. Whereas if you choose, like, a a paladin, then you're like, bam, this is what you start with, and it's cool, and you're like, yeah, I'm exploring this thing. Whereas a playbook, you have multiple options to choose from. You are the same thing, but you're different every time. I don't know if that's a good way to explain it. (laughs) <laughs> no, 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 it makes perfect sense because basically it's just like in sports, your playbook is here's your strategies that you can use. You know, you don't have to use one, you don't have to use another, you can pick and choose as you want. And and that's literally when you're making the characters in the Apocalypse Engine, how it works is here are your options, pick. Here are your options, pick, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good way of thinking of it. I hadn't thought of it like that. That's a, that's a really good analogy. And, and as you kept talking about the apparatus the whole time, I'm thinking, yeah, somebody's going to play a little think tank who's got like a little child's voice and is innocent and sweet. And <laughs> yeah. From Ghost in the Shell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, the, that's a classic AI a character archetype of these cute little innocent things wanting to know everything. Yeah, and like also like humanity imprinting on those innocent things and then looking you know seeing what it becomes usually in anime it's pretty (laughs) terrible right they're just like oh my god we're a horrible species this is all going to hell or something but hopefully in another game like there's somebody that's gonna be you know watching the swan song and being like oh this is pie and i'm gonna take care of him i'm not gonna completely destroy it or something (laughs) yeah (laughs) then there can be this horrible one that's you know do the frankenstein monster story arc of he's really sweet and innocent but because of all these horrible situations this is what happens Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i'm just i'm just so excited to hear some let's play of the game too i was just like damn because because 
it's kind of interesting to see what feedback you get when you're like when they know that you're involved in the project, right? They're just sort of like mm-hmm. stepping on eggshells and stuff. They're like, "Man, this is the coolest game ever." I'm like, "Okay, cool, cool." But what do you like not like about it? And they're like, "Nothing. Everything <laughs> is perfect." And like, "Come on, man." You and getting feedback is hard too. I mean, mm-hmm. it's hard to giving feedback, but getting feedback from people is really, really hard because you're like, "No, I." I need to know this so that way I can fix anything that needs to be fixed, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, especially they focus on aesthetic stuff a little too much, I find. They'll just be like, well, this playbook could be a little bit clearer. I'm like, cool, but how about, like, you know, the actual game? How about that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Not the window dressing. How's the house foundation feel? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, so I think that'll happen more, especially once the Kickstarter's over and people are just like, ooh, cool, it's ready to play now. Because Kyle and I are doing copy editing on it every day, too. So it is getting a lot more concise, refined, and all that kind of stuff. Um, I just, It's just interesting, because I thought... I kind of expected that a lot more feedback would come in, but Kyle even prepared me for it. He was like, no, nah, man, you're not going to get any feedback. And I was like, but we're giving the game away for free, dog. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> it's like that. that's how you're paying for it is in the product feedback, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, but it's, it's like when someone offers you a review. It's like, please review this for me and let me know. <laughs> yeah, but, but even it's interesting because Kyle hates it. But he does the exact same thing for every everything that he backs. Everything. It, it kind of drives me crazy a little bit. Because he'll be like, he backed the one ring and they sent out that um, playtest thing. And he was like, man, this game looks amazing, looks amazing. Oh, I hate the layout. Click X. And I was like, whoa, 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 what happened there? And he's like, no, man, couldn't just I couldn't read it. And I was like, but... <laughs> but he just said it looked really cool and he's like yeah I'll try to struggle through later but you know the layout was pretty shit or something and I'm just like okay but you know that's the playtesting packet and he's like exactly so I'm gonna wait and see what it looks like later and I was like dude <laughs> I hate you <laughs> right like he's, be part of the solution not the problem <laughs> yeah exactly so I, I kind of get it though like um a whole bunch of other designers prepared me for it as well. Um, on story games, there's a big community there that's just amazing, and they're just like, yeah, man, you're not going to get too much feedback. You might get a couple people, but usually it'll be, you know, you give them the final product, and then they'll review it, and they'll say this is what they like about it or not. It's not usually, like, something in the middle. That'll be something that you need to work with with playtesting. It won't be something that's, like, voluntary. Yeah, that's that's one thing I love with the the real play podcast and the YouTube channel stuff is so you can actually see the players using it mm-hmm. and saying whether it's really smooth, if it's clanky, and you're seeing it in play. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, and they're even when they're like musing about different things too. Like when I was um, watching John Harper and Adam Coble playing the Sprawl recently. It was interesting to see their um, touchstones for cyberpunk because anytime anything's cyberpunk right now, I'm just like, bam, on it. <laughs> you know, like consume, research. Yeah, consume as much as possible. And what they kind of like wondered about with the sprawl and stuff, it really helped me because I was just like, oh, man. OK, so, you know, even as simple as when you're writing a move, it should propel the fiction forward. That's not mm-hmm. super intuitive in the beginning. Right. Because you're just like when I first was making it, I I like I was just like thinking up the coolest thing that I could think of. And they're like, dude, you can't give that to the player. 
<laughs> I was like, but what do you mean? And they're like, they can't have that much fictional positioning right off the get-go. Are you insane? <laughs> I was like, but it's so cool, dude. <laughs> so eventually it gets refined into what it should be. A lot of times that's what happens. It'll be like, bam, ultimate goal. And then I distill the move into what it like should be. And then the original thing is just like... I don't know, you're like Galactus or something, and suddenly you're the Silver Surfer and kind of manageable. <laughs> it's like, okay, maybe we should take it from 100 down to a 10. Yeah. <laughs> but it's so cool. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, it was so humbling and amazing. Um, within, I think, the first day, Vincent Baker backed the game, and I was like, this is like Jesus backing nice. my game. <laughs> like, it literally <laughs> felt like that. I was just like, that's the guy that made it. <laughs> and he's super active on g plus super nice and yeah it's just amazing um like the designer community in general is really like a build-up community they don't tear each other's games down or anything they're just like hey man this is what i like and this is what i don't like and you know change it or not kind of thing they're not like oh this is oh crap you know this this is no good it's just it's a really welcoming an amazing community yeah that's one thing i like right now is it's definitely golden age of gaming because everyone's supporting each other because we all want to make cool games and play games and do cool things and you know as opposed to like back in the day where everybody was super elitist and not sharing their secret formulas mm-hmm. and, you know now it's like hey you want to chat about it let's chat about it you know well i mean let's collaborate and share ideas Apocalypse World coming out and being uh, Creative Commons, that was, I think, I think it was probably the biggest milestone in indie gaming ever, probably. Mm. Like, the stuff that's come from it, Monster Hearts, Kyle's World's in Peril, um, like, you know, Mass is coming out, there's Saga of the Icelanders, there's so much stuff that people looked at that and they're just like, wow, that's a really cool way to tell a story. And then he was like, yeah, cool, just go do that. And we're, they were like, well, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just like- amazing, right? Like, the, uh, it really shines a light on Vincent's intentions for the system, right? He wasn't like, this isn't a thing that makes me money. This is, it's the closest thing to art in a, in a game that I've ever seen, just in the aspect of the way that he presented it. Yeah, because it's one of those of go forth create yeah share yeah like it it's just amazing and he seems to have backed um pretty much most of the apocalypse world hacks which is just you know just uh it's amazing i think you know that's a, that's a cool sh- sign of support right there because mm-hmm. after all they all the beauty is they all start adding together and you can that way when you have different you know versions you can borrow and need what you want for your game and get, come on we all know it from a from a uh MC or GM point of view is you it's buying the books just to see cool ideas you know oh totally yeah or or hey I'm buying this book not because we're gonna ever play this but because I want to see what's going on here with the story you know mm-hmm. well that's kind of why I snuck in beliefs because <laughs> I <laughs> know nobody will ever play Burning Wheel with me because it's so crunchy oh. <laughs> and I'm just like okay well guess what beliefs is a thing now it's in my game we're doing beliefs it's gonna be the coolest thing ever and it was so I was like yeah so I was like even you know, the most I can get people to play with me is Mouse Guard because it's not so crunchy. But uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Burning <pretty> Real people <laughs> are like, damn, this is this is intense, dude. I don't know if I could do this. I'm just like, oh, I'm going to have to like 
bribe people or something. Just throw money at them and like, shut up and play. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that roll twenty happening. Yeah. Your PayPal your PayPal account will be credited at the end of this session. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Now I just watch um the roll twenty Adam Coble one. That's how I get my burning uh, wheel fix. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, with those players, Austin Walker is like amazing. So, oh yeah, that guy's like, you know, it, he's just his ability to bust out amazing speeches is like insane. <laughs> just like, where did that come from? He's like Winston or something. Like he's just <laughs> like, wh- what is happening? He's just like, hmm, give me five seconds. Bam, best speech you ever heard. <laughs> Just like, okay. So then I started listening to Friends at the Table. And yeah, basically anything that he writes or plays or whatever, I'm just like, mm, I'll be there, Austin. You let me know. <laughs> It'll definitely be worth the time to watch. Yeah, it's just uh, it's just crazy. That uh, that whole... Um, like, I, I watched them play Apocalypse World. I watched them play Burning Wheel. Um, they're playing Riot... Ryotama, is that how you spell him? I don't know how you pronounce so, yeah. it. Yeah, and they're playing that right now. It, it's just great. Adam Coble's a good uh, GM, and he always has good players, so it's interesting. A lot of times when I'm writing, I'm actually listening to those guys play. <laughs> yeah, it's one thing I love to do at work, is put the headphones on and just hit play and do the data entry I need to do and keep listening to good stuff. Mm-hmm, yeah, totally. This makes for great escapism. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, for the Kickstarter, mm-hmm. I was going to ask you, which stretch goal are you most excited about achieving? I know you still have two more that you, you, we need to hit, but which which one that you've already achieved are you excited the most about? It's got to be art, I think. Because art, um, it's really going to be the thing that people pay attention to, and then they'll be able to discern from the art that it's not a traditional cyberpunk setting. And I think that's really important, because... It can still be, you know, the Shadowrun and stuff that you like, but it could also be whatever you think cyberpunk is, right? And the best way to engage them is through the art. So I made sure to get a really good artist, and I just super, I I lucked out. (laughs) I was was like, okay, man, so this is what's going to happen. We're going to put it on Kickstarter. And as soon as we hit that stretch goal, I'm going to keep you busy probably for the rest of your life. Cool? (laughs) <laughs> he was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, I have plans after the veil. I've got, you know, Kyle has plans after the veil. Don't go away. <laughs> I know when I was sharing with Kelly the Kickstarter, she looked at the honor bound and she's like, ooh, pretty. Because, of course, it's the, the gal in the mask with the cybernetic arm and the sword and the mm-hmm. beautiful headdress. Yeah. And she's like, I just love how he designed that dress. I want to make something like that because she does costumes. Yeah. And she's just like, Ooh, I like whoever they got for the artwork on this. I'm like, I know, right? Yeah, like my my, my personal favorite was the uh, like cybernetic cyborg. Oh, the um the seeker. seeker. Yeah, seeker yeah. is really cool because you played Apocalypse World, right? Yeah. So the seeker is the hocus messed up, <laughs> right? Like the hocus is usually the opposite. It gets its power from the followers, and I was like, what if you got your power from faith? And what if you were basically an actual monk. The questions that you ask as the seeker are actual, real questions that Buddhist monks ask themselves in order to achieve enlightenment. 
So mm-hmm. you're generating enlightenment and you're spending it on finding more of it. And you're going in this like endless cycle. And people are like, well, that doesn't really work though, right? Because you're, you're spending an answer to get a question. And I'm like, yeah, you're spending the answer and you're getting the answer throughout the entire session. And it and always happens. It yeah. always happens. Like people are like, no, I don't think that would happen. And I usually just point it out when it happens. <laughs> That's, I don't even, <laughs> I don't even make it happen because they're like, even subconsciously, they are searching for that now. They're like, oh, I'm picking how to be more virtuous. And I'm like, okay, cool. And then when they do that in the fiction, I'm like, cool, you're being virtuous right now. Just so you know. And they're like, what? <laughs> what? That's amazing. That's what? Yeah. <laughs> it's- Too busy slipping into character, not noticing the, the trees in the forest type of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's one of my favorite classes because it just turns the hocus on its head and really um, internalizes a bunch of different questions. And it's sort of kind of what I wanted the monk to be in every game I've ever played. Cause it's like a real monk now, right? Like you're, you're looking for that enlightenment, but you're kind of badass too. You got some swords going on, you know, like, you, I don't know what else you want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cause it's, it's, it's all about the, what's the next question you need to know to get perfect, to, to get to that, that pinnacle of, of yourself. Mm-hmm. And I've got, um, like after the enthusiasm of this, I already know that I'm going to be doing compendium classes too, which is pretty exciting. I don't know nice. if the Kickstarter will blow up enough that it will be a stretch goal, but it might be a down the line thing. If it is in Kickstarter, that'd be amazing, but I'm making it like I have the idea of it being based on the belief system, like the natural evolution or de-evolution of the playbook so that if they take it in either direction, they're still growing and then going into that compendium class. So I think that would be cool. So uh, speaking of the art, by the way, mm. uh, sorry. <coughs> sorry. No worries. <laughs> so uh, speaking of the awesome artwork, uh, Alessandro, that's how you, yeah. that's, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. uh, Speaking of the awesome artwork, Alessandro, well, where did you find him? On DeviantArt, I think, or ArtStation. I think it was DA, though. And my immediate thought was, I will never afford him, but I should just contact him anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and he ended up being the most affordable because he's um, a student in um, Italy, and he uses the commission to kind of, like, get by. So I was like, dude, I'm gonna feed you. <laughs> like, I, you will, you'll be fine. Like, as much art as I can get. Like, it's from that week on, he has, like, I've been feeding him money to do the artwork for it. <laughs> so, and then now he's got, like, another 40 pieces. And if we, you know, hit an unlocked stretch goal that might happen, then we'll do the chapter headers as well, which would be amazing. Nice. Yeah, because his artwork is really good. It's amazing, yeah. Like, even he posted in a Reddit about it, and people were like, what the hell, you're a freak of nature. (laughs) He's like, yeah, I don't know, I just sort of learned um, using, I don't know, some other program that he mentioned that everybody's like, "Mm, yes, yes, this program. And I was like, yep. (laughs) (laughs) Know nothing about artwork or anything, right? So I was like, yep, uh, mm, yep. Um, sounds good, yeah. But everyone was just like, "Can you never leave this form and just keep posting stuff?" And he was like, "Okay." <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
It's yeah. like, now remember, as long as you support him, he can keep doing this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, yeah, so now I'm just like, dude, like, we'll have projects coming down the pipeline, because Kyle's has a really cool thing coming up, too, and then I want to do compendium classes, and I actually have another thing planned for the Veil after that, even, as well. But, nice. you know, that'll be after this gets all uh, wrapped up, mm-hmm. and... um yeah, it's nice though because we play tested for so long that really all we're doing is copy editing and taking feedback and incorporating it, and then as soon as that's done, bam, man! I think I'm pretty much on those compendium classes. <laughs> that's gonna be awesome. Yeah, because <laughs> it's always about the next project. Because it's what couldn't you cover in this one that you want to cover in the next one? Mm-hmm. Well, and sometimes people have a problem connecting with AW because there's not like a lot of growth with the sandbox setting, right? You're just like, I gave you the tools. You don't need any more tools, right? Whereas with this, I have so many ideas just for compendium classes and then also another thing where I'm going to take it. Um, so, you know, at least they can expect probably another uh, two or three things down the pipe that will support um, the core book. Nice, because it is always nice to get an adventure book to either read, digest, take apart, use pieces. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you just same thing. You just take what you like from it, and then go from there. And I really like the idea of people being able to do a really long campaign and integrate compendium classes, because that's sort of the the breakdown that they get from AW. Right? They're just like, mm-hmm. um, you're getting improvements so fast that you're just sort of like you just kind of run out yeah it's like you 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 max cap out yeah really fast too usually around eight to ten sessions so i i really tried to make it so that um you'll be able to tell um a story over a lot longer period with the advancement and then i'm also you know with the compendium classes you should be able to you know double it or something you know, unless, you know, someone dies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no big deal. <laughs> but if they have, if they want that option to go further and take, you know, evolve the character, then I want them to be able to do that and explore it. So I think that'll be cool. Definitely, because that way, you know, once they find their muse and keep playing. Mm-hmm. So another question I was going to ask you, Future Soul, because that's, that's one of the, the settings it's presented. If you're playing in Future Soul, what music do you think a MC should be running? Which, by the way, it works beautiful saying MC and music in the same sentence. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> During a session of The Veil. Um, for me, I ran a lot of Kill Bill stuff. Because <laughs> just uh, for the touchstones that people had, um, a lot of the groups that I ran, it was huge with Blade Runner, of course. Like, if... Some people, the only touchstone they had was Blade Runner. And I was like, mm, okay, well, Blade Runner music isn't really a thing I'd run in a setting because it's pretty, like... Somber. Yeah, and, and subtle, yeah. right? Like, I don't want them to always be super sad kind of thing. <laughs> so I was putting on, like, lots of Kill Bill and, um, yeah, stuff like that. And then when I was writing the game, I had J.J. Gray and Mofro on. And they're they're amazing. Like it, anytime you want to get into a headspace of like an emotional thing, just listen to JJ. That dude is amazing. And then when I wanted upbeat stuff, like when I was writing the empath and stuff, it was churches. 
Or is that how you even say it? I think it's called churches, but they have that V in it, right? So you're like, is yeah. it traverches or like, <laughs> what's going on? Right? <laughs> I, I think it's supposed to be churches, but it's just, you know. A different kind of church. <laughs> yeah. Charge. Yeah. <laughs> so your Kickstarter's definitely hit. So we've got the next two weeks to see how high we can go past the goal. Mm-hmm. How has your Kickstarter experience been from your point of view of, of hosting a Kickstarter? Um. It's been pretty easy because Kyle's been running it, and then I've just basically been, like, running around thanking everybody (laughs) and trying not to cry. (laughs) Like, thank you! Uh, Because I really wasn't sure that it was going to fund at all. Like, I was pretty dubious about it, and Kyle's like, no, dude, it'll be, like, a day or something. I'm like, a day. (laughs) Yeah, okay, Kyle. Living in the clouds. But, uh, well, because it seems like a pretty niche thing but i guess it it is growing quite big and they are um you know blade runner 2's coming down the pipe and they've got um altered carbon which is my favorite touchstone of all time probably for well for a novel um and that's going to be a show on netflix yeah that's gonna be cool (laughs) (laughs) netflix has been really good lately yeah so i was like altered carbon netflix this is a thing that's happening cool and um yeah, so basically it was nerve-wracking for sure just to see kind of like if I would be validated at all, like if these ideas were good or interesting or anything, right? Because Apocalypse World, that's probably a pretty flooded um, scene right now, so you got to be pretty unique for people to kind of like give a shit. Because they're just like, oh, yeah, yeah, cool, whatever, you made another hack, right? <laughs> and they're like, no, it's not a hack, because there's all these differences, and they're like, oh, it actually is kind of cool. <laughs> it's, it's basically your translation of it. It's it's, it's not just a hack. Yeah, because I've got, like, beliefs, I've got tags for cybernetics, I've got um, a debt system that's similar, kind of like Urban Shadows, but tweaked a little, which is called Geary, mm-hmm. which is... Huge on um, some cyberpunk touchstones like Altered Carbon. It's mentioned quite a bit in that, actually. And um, a bunch of other stuff that really... um, I actually even kind of had to, like, be careful with it because the more stuff you change with Apocalypse World, the more stuff you need to playtest, and it's already so concise, right? You're just like, damn, I don't want to change too much because then you might be kind of like... messing the up the axle of the of the machine kind of thing that's yeah. that's rolling and on right so um initially i had like all these crazy ideas and i was like no like it's about taking those and distilling it into a concise form like you don't need um like some hacks sort of like miss the point and have like 30 moves when you're just like no man like the cool thing about it is that there's just seven and you can do all these things with it right yeah so initially, I think I had something like 20 moves, and now there's six, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but see, that's good, because you, you, you filtered it down to the, the basics, because after all, this is this is just the first step. I mean, the veil, you, you I can see you going on for, for years with additional stuff. Oh, yeah, like, I, yeah, my brain is, like, on fire all the time. <laughs> when I first started writing this, I found out that I would never get a good night's sleep again. <laughs> I get way too excited and then I like jot down stuff in my iPhone and then pass out and then I'll wake up at like seven <laughs> and just like start writing again. And my roommate was just like, damn dude, you're like possessed or something. Right. Cause he'd be like, yeah, want to play the division? 
because, you know, you bought it. You might want to play it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, after this chapter. And then it'd be like 1 a.m. And he's like, cool, well, I'm going to bed. <laughs> you just slip into the fugue state and just, you know, channel your muse. Yeah, yeah. Well, and we were playtesting it three or four times a week, every week, I think. Nice. Yeah, for a while there. And then towards the end, twice a week, I think. So, yeah. And it was, it was just really neat because... I thought for sure that somebody had already made a cyberpunk thing like this. And then I discovered that there really wasn't anything like it. The closest thing is the sprawl, which is super cool if you want to jump in and do like really cool heists and and like mission based stuff. But I was like, okay, that's cool. But that's not what cyberpunk is to me. So then I started making this. And then after a few months of getting like a the initial moves and like a couple of playbooks down. I think I had six at the point. I showed it to Kyle and he was like, whoa, this is really cool. And then I changed out um, stats for states and he was like, this is amazing now. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, dude, the, the write-up you know, that, you, that you sent me to read, I'm like, you know, I've never actually, I mean, I've seen it be been hinted at and gestured at but nobody's actually put it down on paper as part of the game you know the veil i mean literally it's the veil that's there yeah exactly yeah i i was a little disheartened at the beginning of the kickstarter because this awesome guy um named josh um in the update you can check it out but he contacted us like day one and he was like hey i also have a game called the veil and it's also cyberpunk and it's also Apocalypse World. And I was like, how is this oh possible? <laughs> I cannot change the... Like, I just don't know what I would change it to that would express what it is so well. Yeah. Um, and then he was like, no, I'm cool with it. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> awesome. Because his game is kind of based on ghost lines, and it's really cool. Um, you are unlocking uh, mines with ghost lines from um, John Harper's game. And I think he changed the title a little bit now just to, I think, help us out. And then he said, how about just give these people a game, my game, for free? And if they if they like it, they can just donate to uh, this fundraiser. And I was like, what? Okay, <laughs> that's amazing. And then there was this guy who donated, I think, 500 bucks just because Josh did that, did that to, to that that's fundraiser. Awesome. And they were. I, it seems like they're becoming pretty good friends on G+. So I was like, this is really cool. That's cool. I mean, because that's it's one of the biggest things is if you see somebody who you like them and you like what they're doing, patronize them as much as you can. So you know that way they can continue to do good things. You know, because too many too many great designers are too busy making sure they have food in the fridge mm-hmm. that they can't actually produce what they want and give it the proper amount of love that it needs to get to get made. Yeah, yeah, like. Yeah, it, it's it's a little sad that uh, that ends up happening with a bunch of games, right? You're just like, mm-hmm. sometimes you find free games online and you're like, wow, this blows my mind. How is this not published? And then the guy's just like, I work as a day trader and I, I have like, you know, six kids and I'm Mormon and I can't afford that. <laughs> so it's like, oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. Because, you know, follow your passion. That's the biggest thing in life is, is too many people aren't following and doing what they want to do, which, dude, you're, you are living the dream right now. And I hope only for the best for you on this one, Frazier. Yeah, thanks. I, I, yeah, it's just an amazing feeling um, knowing that, like, what, at this time, 387 people want what I wrote. It, it's amazing. 
Yeah, it's even gone up since last night because I think 384 was what it was at last night. Yeah, <laughs> so three more people want my thing. There you go. It's like what? It's it's amazing and it's yeah, as like a first time designer, it's really like humbling that people are digging it and it's it was really beneficial for me to tap into the apocalypse world um because yeah just like i said it was so play tested already that it made my job way easier see that's 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 the beauty of open sourcing material Mm -hmm. is you've got the wheel you've invented the wheel it's great let everybody use the wheel yeah yeah exactly and then um it's nice too because i think pretty much all of the hacks that have come out have been creative commons as well Mm-hmm. So, which makes sense, but it's still a really cool thing that people did. Like Kyle's Worlds in Peril, if you don't want the layout and the artwork and you just want the game, you can get it for free. That's super cool. Excuse me just a moment. Sure. <coughs> Sorry. Oh man, you're dying over there. I know. <laughs> I ran out of tea a while ago. Oh no. Wait, do you want to make some more? Or? No, no, it's cool, man. Okay. Ah, oh, breathe. Open the ways. Open the ways. Yeah. <laughs> Lift the veil from the eyes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Fraser, uh, where can folks find you? Find you online? Um, I just started getting a really active presence online just because of the Kickstarter. Um, but I'm on Twitter. I've got at least thirty followers, so I'm kind of a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just at Fraser Simons, one word. And I'm really active on G Plus now. It's really interesting, I think, that so many designers landed on G Plus uh, because before I never used it once, not ever. I never even. I was just like, "What is that?" <laughs> and Kyle was like, "That's where everybody's at, man." And I was like, "I don't think they are though, because isn't there like ten people over there?" Or <laughs> I was just like on Facebook like everybody else or whatever, but um, it's a really cool community because, yeah, all the all the um, games that you like, they have communities on it, and then you just join them and you just talk about the game with people. It's really cool. Um, and I made a community for The Veil, which is in one of the updates, and you can just search for it, and then you can just follow me on, uh, on G+, or Facebook, whatever you want. Um, it's all just under my name. Alright, so is there anything else you'd like to add that I haven't uh, asked you about? Which um, we've had a great conversation today. Yeah, <laughs> I don't I don't know. I think that it's all pretty wrapped up for me. I just like I just wanna thank everybody, you know, for backing the project. I wanna thank you for even wanting to have a conversation about it because oh, you know, that's dude, amazing. Definitely. Hey, uh, ever since Shadowrun was out, I am a huge fan of Cyberpunk. I mean Dude, Blade Runner, watched it when it came out. Mere fact, Johnny Mnemonic, I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, Johnny Mnemonic was pretty cool. And that's the same thing, right? That's the that's the one with the dude with the one gig. Uh, yeah, we were talking about that one earlier. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, whoa. That, and it's just so crazy how technology's evolved and changed so much. And now I like it because before, Cyberpunk was... Um, style over substance and now i think it has a lot of both mm-hmm. and the nice thing too is that you're bringing cyberpunk to the digital age as opposed to the analog age yeah yeah i think people will have a really good time with that because you can really let your emotions and your um 
your imagination run wild with mixed reality. You just whatever you think is cool that could happen. Yeah, I mean, think of it this way: you could have a character that, and when with their overlay of the veil, instead of them shooting someone and seeing red blood, it could be like bright pink paint. Yeah, it could be. It could even be like a. <laughs> One of those animes where there's, like, no blood. <laughs> you just, like, yeah. kill them and they just implode or something. Or, like, get turned into some other thing that's, like, a trophy or something even. It'd be, you know, it's just whatever you think would be neat for cyberpunk in the future of humanity. It's just happening. Yeah, because cyberpunk's got just so many... I mean, think think of hacking, but on a personal level. I mean, mm-hmm. there's just so many awesome storylines you could go with on that. Yeah. Well, and then I like that... Um, like I was a little bit worried that people would go super technology heavy with it. And I think that it really balances it out with the feeling wheel for states. Cause now people are like, yeah, all this tech and stuff, but then they're always thinking about their character and how they feel about it as well. Yeah. It's, you've always got to have the, the humanity pullback of, mm, this technology is getting a little too out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. People come up with some crazy stuff. It, it'll be interesting to see because one of the tiers and the Kickstarter for backing it is creating your own piece of technology using tags for the system. So nice. I'm kind of wondering what people are coming up with. Like I'm like, you know, <laughs> in bed laying there. I'm like, what are people going to do? <laughs> and then I think probably the coolest one I'll probably get Allie to draw too and put it in that section. Nice. So yeah, that'll be cool. Well, Fraser, it's been great talking to you today, man. I mean, th- thank you so much for being available today to talk. Mm-hmm. Is there any any last minute shout outs, any thank yous you want to throw out there? Um, yeah, to to Jake Rose. Uh, he was initially a playtester, and then he helped me a ton with the mechanics. The guy is a mechanical genius for Apocalypse World as far as I'm concerned. And he's actually making his own hack right now called The New Realm, which is like Game of Thrones for Apocalypse (laughs) World. So it's pretty cool. And, uh, you know, my brother and all of the the other playtesters will be great. And they will be, you know, of course, listed in the the book. That's awesome. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, man. It's been great talking to you, and uh, thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, no problem. And hey, you're up to 40 followers on Twitter now. Oh, bam. Bam. <laughs> 40 followers. Just, I, I just hunted you down and found you. Nice. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you for listening. Uh, the Kickstarter still got about two weeks. I'll get this edited up on, by Monday, at least. Mm-hmm. I'm going to aim for Sunday, but Monday, by Monday definitely. Check it. Check out the veil on kickstarter it's going to be a great rpg my group's going to try to get a demo going probably in about a month because in two weeks i've got a bunch of openings up for actually game time which is going to be great Mm -hmm. so we can get some new shows started nice (laughs) so yeah definitely thank you for being on the show yeah thanks a lot hi guys If you're a fan of reading like I am, and you've been looking to try out Audible.com for audiobooks, we have a link for a free 30-day trial. So go ahead and check out audibletrial.com slash Network. That's audible, A-U-D-I-B-L-E-T-R-I-A-L.com slash Network. Thanks! Thank you for listening to the Creative Play and Podcast Network, and feel free to enjoy our other shows, such as 
D&D Journey of the Fifth Edition, and Scion, Ragnarok and Roll, a Scion hero to Ragnarok story. Thank you for listening.